You're listening to a sermon by New Hill Church. We pray this message helps you to put Jesus in the perspective. If you have questions about this message, a previous message, or about a relationship with Jesus, please email us at engage at newhilloh.com. Amen, amen. I'm so excited. This is just it's a, a great Sunday to just be um, worshiping. Uh, just the, the weather and everything, like it just doesn't bother me. We, uh, anytime you have baptisms, it's a, a super... Um, Super Sunday, I guess. Um, I just can't like describe it any other way. It's amazing to see um, what God um, and His sovereignty does to save sinners and to see them follow in obedience, which is what baptism is, what we're going to celebrate um, this morning. It's an act of obedience. It's an outward sign of an inward change. Um, so I'm always pumped when we get to do that as a church. Um, before I go any further, the QR code in front of you, I just have to tell you guys this. If you scan that with your phone, it'll bring up the link. Um, to newhilloh.com slash worship, and you get an, the, the lyrics to the songs um, that we're singing this morning, but also the announcements at the end in case you forget. Um, but if not, you can write them down when we talk, uh, talk about them next week, I guess. But we're going to be here in um, Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, as, as Roger read for us this morning. And we've been going through Jonah for um, a few weeks now, maybe about a month. It's a six-week series, so this is the fifth week. So yeah, a month. We've been here a month, and I hope that you all have just been encouraged and have seen that, that Jonah is not just some book just about a man who was swallowed by fish, which actually happened, um, that we see the, the connection um, to Christ through the book of Jonah, but we also see our connection to Jonah when we live as rebels, um, even saved by God's grace, that we still run and we still wander away from um, God and his commands and, and what we talked about last week a little bit, when we run from the Great Commission, but we need to not be reluctant but faithful in sharing the message. We need to overcome that reluctance to that we don't really want to share the gospel with our enemies, right? We, we just want to kind of like let it pass and like maybe God will figure out a way for them. Or really, church, what we feel in our heart is that we just wish our enemy would be um, separated from God for eternity. Um, if we don't really believe that, then we do that through our actions. We express that with our actions when we don't faithfully share the gospel with them. So we see, I'm just going to do a little summary again. Jonah gets this command from God. He runs, okay? He, he opts on this boat to go the opposite direction. He's going the opposite direction. God sends this storm with this boat, and these mariners are, are fighting the storm. They're trying to throw everything off the ship so that the ship won't sink. Jonah's sleeping at the bottom of the boat. They tell him, arise, old sleeper. Um, call to your God, right? They want to figure out why this storm is upon them. They cast lots. They find out that it is, in fact, Jonah's fault, the man that they know nothing about. So then they ask him about himself. He tells them, hey, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a God-fearing man. I worship um, God. Um, so this is what I do. They're afraid, Okay. They say, what do we do? He says, throw me over and the storm will go away. So they rode harder. They did not want to do this. Storm just got worse and worse. And they say, okay, throw him overboard. They, they not only sacrifice him, but they make sacrifices to God because they're afraid. And Jonah gets swallowed up by fish. He still does not want to go to Nineveh so bad that he thinks, yeah, this will be the sacrifice. But really what he's thinking is, I'll be done and I won't have to go to Nineveh. Here comes a fish, swallows him. It actually happened, church. This is not a made-up fairy tale for the children to read. This is the word of God. It is true. Okay, then Jonah in the belly of the fish prays. He repents to God. He calls out to God, says, you, salvation belongs to the Lord. And in verse 10 of chapter 2, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Then Jonah, in the beginning of chapter 3, the first five verses, we see he does go to Nineveh. And what's he telling me? He says, 40 days and you guys are going to be ruined. And then we get this change in verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God and they called for a fast and put on 
sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. We get detail here in the second half of chapter 3. This is our series, church, Taken by Grace. And the main point for us this morning is we faithfully share because God faithfully saves. We faithfully share because God faithfully saves. A lot of us, we feel this pressure that when we're sharing, we've got to do something good enough to be able to articulate well enough so that that person can comprehend the truth of God and believe it in that moment. But church, when we do that, we take away from the power of God and His Word to save. We put it in our hands that we have to be good enough in the delivery of the message to be able to save the person we're sharing with. But take that off your plate and understand that we faithfully share because God faithfully saves. And I referenced uh, Mark 4, I think yesterday, or last Sunday, that the farmer, he plants the seed and he tends to it. But then what does Mark 4 teach us? That the farmer watches it grow and he knows not how. Church, salvation belongs to the Lord. The commission belongs to the Lord's people. It's what we were given. We were commissioned out to proclaim the Word of God. And that has to do with repentance. Leading people to repentance. So we faithfully share because God faithfully saves. So the three points I want to look at here is, is that repentance, or four points for us this morning. It's getting crazy around here. Um, repentance deals with humility, with sacrifice, with change, and hope. Repentance deals with humility, sacrifice, change, and hope. And that's the progression we're going to see here in the people of Nineveh. The Ninevites first show their humility. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. We've talked a little bit here about sackcloth and ashes, but that would be the, the way of mourning, right? That you would mourn. We see this a lot in the, the Old Testament that they get in sackcloth and ashes and that was their way of, of mourning. Here they're mourning their sin. They're mourning the destruction that, that lays before them. Yet in 40 days, you will be destroyed. Why were they going to be destroyed? We've already looked at that the fact that the Ninevites were these, these crazy, crazy evil people. right? Like you, you take like... Put it in context again here. I know I'm reiterating a lot of, of what we've, we've gone through in the past, but it'd be like telling a Jew in the early 1900s to go and to tell Hitler the good news and, um, and, and tell him that, hey, wrath is coming upon you. And a Jew in that day would probably be like, no, negative, sir. I'm not going to go and do that because if you didn't see all the evil deeds that he did, he does not deserve to hear this message. Let's just let it happen. For the fear that he may, may repent, may change, they say no. But here the, the word reaches even the king of this evil place, and what does he do? He himself, right? This is coming out of uh, really verse 5, and it says the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them 
to the least of them. One of my least favorite things about working in a warehouse back in West Virginia was I would get told what to do by men who would never do what they wanted me to do, right? We, we know that feeling. There's a point where you reach the superiority, and it's not that you wouldn't want to do it. It's that you've already done it, right? You've reached a level where you don't have to do that again. And I begin to understand that. But, but here, imagine if the king himself wouldn't have done anything, but the people would have gone on to do it. They needed this to be a cleansing of the entire place. And the king leads by example. The word reaches him, and he arises from his throne, takes off his robe, and trades it in for sackcloth and ashes. Church, he is trading his robe for sackcloth and ashes. He is is trading his royalty for humility. He is trading his position to change his view of God Almighty. Church, we must be humble because repentance leads to humility. It deals with it. There's no way to be repentant before God and not be humble. There's no way. See, a lot of us, we want to we go to God, but we want to act like God in the situation. Like we talk down to God. I know I wasn't supposed to do it, but you don't understand what life is like, so my bad about doing that. Church, we should fall on our knees before God. This king here gives us the example. And not, not just a king. Remember, this was a king full of power who did wicked things. These people were not good people, right? None of us are good, right? We talked about that even last week. We're not worthy, but there's like this, this level, right? And, and the doctrine of total depravity, we say you're not as bad as you can be, but you're as bad off as you can be. So we're all in the same position before the eyes of God, but in human terms, these people were doing a lot worse than we would have. They were doing horrible, horrible things. Church, we should clothe ourselves in humility. The entire New Testament, you you find plenty of verses that talk about this idea. Paul really hits on it. First Peter, I'm going to read it here in a second. But they both hit on this idea of, of taking off the old and putting on the new. It's this idea of clothing. Just like the king here, he takes off his robe, he takes off his royalty, and is met with humility through the morning with sackcloth and ashes. First Peter 5, 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, and the very first thing he says is, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And last week we talked about this idea of not being worthy. And that can be a downing message when we talk about, we are not worthy, we are not worthy, we are not good enough. The Scriptures say this, right? For no, one is, no one's good, no, not one. No one seeks after God, no, not one. And we think about that, and we try and think about it in, in human terms, but if we understand it from the biblical perspective that if we are not doing what God has called us to do, then we're not doing anything good. So therefore, if we do not do things for Him and for His glory, we are not good. So church, we are not good, but we are made worthy by the blood of Jesus. So the encouragement there is that you don't have to be good enough. It's not to get down and say, well, I'm not good enough, I can't do anything. It's that when Jesus meets you where you are and redeems you as his people, then you are made worthy, not by your own doing, but by his blood that was shed on the cross on your behalf. That is the good news that we have, church. Not to get down on ourselves and to think that we are never good enough, but we understand that we are made righteous by the blood of Jesus through faith. That is the good news that we have. That is the hope that we have. 
We are made worthy by the blood of Jesus. And you see, humility leads to the true royalty. A lot of times we want to look at our position and we don't want to take off our robe, right? We want to take whatever position that we've been given and we want to wear it and we want to wear it proudly. But when we understand that true royalty comes from humility, falling on our knees before our Savior, then we can understand that, that we are worthy and we are royal because of Him who saves us. So the question here in this point about humility is what is our royal robe? What is our royal robe that we need to trade in for humility? What is that thing that keeps us from humbling ourselves before our Savior? What is the thing that, that keeps us from taking up our cross daily? That keeps us from dying to our sin daily? And that doesn't mean that you're falling out of grace, but what it means is that you were, you were trying to pull a Jonah, uh, being commissioned out by God, but trying to run from His presence. What is this robe that we are wearing that we refuse to give up for humility, which we are called, especially in all of the Scriptures, but in the New Testament made so clear that we put off the old and we put on the new. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We cannot say that we are repentant if we are not humble. We must be a humble people. And humble people will sacrifice. Humble people give up things. Humble people will, will follow the Lord and, and do what Jesus said is, is, you will even hate your own family for my sake. That's sacrifice. And that's point number two. That we are to sacrifice Church, we are not just to be repentant and just say, well, it just means like I say out loud like, hey, oh, Aubrey, I'm sorry that I was like a, a real jerk to you, okay? Like, let's just move on, right? We know that those things don't work. They don't work with our friends. They don't work with our spouses. How is it going to work with God? God knows our inner heart and actually knows whether or not we are being serious. He knows all our deceitful schemes that we might try and get around Him with. But we are only fooling ourselves. We should be humble and it should lead us to sacrifice. Some of us have, have never had to sacrifice anything and it shows, right? Even in my life, I, I see people who actually are sacrificing, just like Paul says in, in Romans 12, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable and, and your spiritual worship, right? He, he tells us that, that our whole self should be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice for God. And I look around at, at some of our brothers and sisters even sitting in here, and, and some of you all do this so well that I'm like, man, like, I feel like I've not given up anything in my life. And I have. But sacrifice church is radical. One of our core values as a church is radical renewing. That we would not look like our old self. And that's radical. That we don't look dead anymore, but we look alive. We don't look like we are slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. And that requires sacrifice. So what happens here? Let's look at verses um, 7 and 8. So the king sees this, right? He, he gets the word, removes his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is 
in His hands. You see, the true change from a leader will lead them to humility and sacrifice. And they lead that way. What does the king do? He doesn't just do it himself, but he puts out a decree that the entire city is going to participate in this very thing. They are going to sacrifice. They are going to fast. Not just themselves, but their animals also. How many of you all read that and you were like, what's up? Like, why would you have your animals like sacrifice? Like, what? That's crazy. But it shows how sincere and genuine this repentance was that they would even sacrifice their own animals to, to do these very things. This was real radical change. Led with humility and sacrifice. Fasting. That's a huge thing for us as Christians that we should fast, right? We should take time out. We, we, we know it to be, we're not going to eat for like 24 hours. Some of you maybe have, have gone longer than 24 hours. Um, maybe you haven't ever done 24 hours even. But it's where we take the time, we give something up, and we spend that time in prayer. And if you're hungry because you're not eating, then you would think of your time with prayer, right? You, you would think, now's the time I need to dive into prayer. I need to be in communication with God. I need to spend some extra time with Him. I'm taking this time to not eat, but it's not just so I don't eat, but it's so I spend more time communing and fellowshipping with God. But our problem with fasting isn't that we are afraid of getting hungry. It's that we don't want to sacrifice something from our life for any period of time, for the God that sacrificed His Son for us. It's crazy. Let me say I'm speaking to myself first here. This idea of sacrifice. It starts when we understand the sacrifice that was made on the cross. There's no way to get around it. Our lack of sacrifice in our life is a reflection of our lack of understanding of the sacrifice on the cross. What Jesus did for us should not be taken lightly. It should lead us into radical change to where people could sit back and see the, the tangible evidence of, of our life being dead in our sin, but being made alive in Christ. And this is what they do. This evil people group. Them and their animals all fast. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. So they're not just not doing these things. They are sacrificing this to spend time calling out to God. And not only that, but this evil people group, what does this king say in his decree? Let everyone turn from his evil way. This king knows why Jonah has come with this message. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Point number three is change. They're not just sacrificing things out of their life, but they are changing who they were before the Lord met them where they were. They are changing. The very message of wrath has led them to repent of the things that have brought the wrath upon them. Church, if we are going to be repentant people, we need to be sorrowful, mourning, and changing people. We cannot continue on in our sin. And this seems like for a lot of us, we're like, yeah, I get it. We've been talking about this in Jonah, that we can't keep doing the same old thing. But when are we going to get it? When are we going to get that we are to pursue holiness? We're not to pursue moments of satisfaction. Temporary satisfaction. 
but eternal gratification in our Lord Jesus, serving Him with every bit of our being. Doing what Paul says, present yourselves a living sacrifice. Dead to our sin, alive in Christ Jesus. Living according to the Gospel. Pursuing holiness and holy living. For our God is holy. So what do they do? They turn from their violence. They're considering their past. What is the thing, church, maybe that you've come in here doing it in the car, right? You're like, whatever, you just you were driving to church and you were thinking about that very thing and, and how aggravated it makes you. Or maybe you can sit here and think about whatever it is in your life that has just continued on and you haven't known how to overcome it, not realizing that you can and will overcome it through Christ who lives inside of you. See, we toss it up to just, well, we can't overcome it in this life, so we're just, we're just done, right? Like, we're just going to accept it, and then we're going to reach this day where we'll get our glorified bodies. But what if, what if Jesus one day looked at us because we weren't actually pursuing Him, because we didn't actually care about change, and it was actually because we, we didn't actually care about Him, and we really never accepted the Gospel. We really never truly understood. We knew how to articulate the Gospel, but we really never believed it in our hearts. And Jesus one day, because He kept sending us a sign that we weren't repenting, we weren't repenting, one day looks at us and He says, Depart from Me, I never knew you. That's why the message of wrath is so important because it should lead us to repentance, which leads us to humility, sacrifice, and change. Paul writes these warnings down about you can't continue in sin, even though there's so much grace, and, but we can't continue in sin just so that grace can abound. Yes, we will still sin in this life, but I don't have to explain it. We act like myself included, like children when we're like, ah, but like, it's okay. Like, we're all going to sin. So, like, this one is like, I'm, I'm fighting it. There's a difference in, in giving in, though, church, and struggling. And we know it. We know the, the very thing that we've struggled with. Maybe we've already overcome it. And to that church, I celebrate with you today. Maybe, maybe you've got a good grip on things and it's like little things of sin here, but it's not a habitual pattern of sin, just unrepentant sin that you don't care about. Maybe you've overcome it. That's great. But to those who are still fighting that fight, I would say seek change. How do we do that? Do life together. This is where the whole idea of confess your sins one to another is so important because we, we want to sit there and say like, no one, no one can judge me. No one needs to know my business. That's why we say we at New Hill Church do life together as the Word of God has called us to. That's why groups are important. That's why discipling is important, right? That we're, we're not just evangelizing, but we're discipling. That means that we are leading people in the truth of God's Word, that they would be corrected by it, they would be um, disciplined by it, they would learn to delight in God's Word. But if we aren't doing life together, if we are not confessing our sins to one another, then what we are doing is not seeking change. That's why it's so important for us to do those things, to do life together, to join a local church, to follow the path of holiness and righteous living. And we have a hope, church. Point number four. We have a hope that is set in Christ Jesus and what He did for us. We have a hope 
that we will not face wrath, but we will, we will be in communion and fellowship with the loving Father who sent His Son to die for us and gave us the seal of the Holy Spirit for our day of redemption, that the Spirit lives inside of those who believe and sanctifies us in this life, teaches us to hate our sin, to run from our sin, and to cling to Him and His good word. Church, we have a hope, just like the Ninevites had a hope, that they would no longer perish, but that God would relent. Verse 9, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? The, the king said, who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent. God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. They had a hope. And they had a hope that was, that was not set in a works-based faith, but they, were, they had faith in the God who saves. They had faith that in repenting, that He would show mercy, for He delights in showing mercy. It's like when I was a kid, you know, I had my, my hopes set in my, my works, right? Like something that I did would change the situation or the wrath that was before me. Though God doesn't completely work like this, repenting toward God, it does work like this, but He doesn't work like the way it was when I was a kid. For example, when I would like break something, usually like my mom's candle holders, that was pretty bad. I'd always kick my toe into them. Um, I think I started to break them on purpose so that like I would no longer break my toes. But when my mom would be on her way home, she would let me know my mom had a consignment shop. and like, hey, I'm on my way home. And I knew like her same drive every day. I've got so many minutes to begin doing chores and look really good when she gets home that I can break a sweat too. You know, like little chubby Michael as a kid, I'm like, doesn't take much. I'm going to vacuum really fast. And I didn't ever do it right. But I was hoping that when my mom would walk in the door that I'd be like, oh, hey, mom, sorry. I was like working really hard. Also, by the way, I broke the candle. And she'd be like, oh, it's okay. You're doing a lot of work. It, and a lot of times, it, it would work like that. There were other times where my mom started to pick up on, like, you were only doing that so I wouldn't bust your butt. Guess who's getting two butt bustings now, right? I'm like, ah, man, didn't work. But for them, it did. Why? Because repentance, faithful repentance that has Humility, sacrifice, change, and a hope set in Jesus and not ourself and not our works, it, it brings out the mercy of God. This is not God changing His mind. This is a conditional thing. They were later going to face God's wrath. We see that the Ninevites are destroyed later. Like destroyed. Flattened. They had no hope later on. But in this moment, they were faithful, and God was faithful to save. Jonah shared this message, and God saved them from the wrath that was coming, not because he changed his mind, but because they repented. They turned from the very thing that God was going to destroy them for, and they changed. They genuinely changed. And when God saw what they did in verse 10, how they turned from their evil way, God relented. God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them. And He did not do it. This is not God changing His mind. This is God changing His creation. This is God bringing people to Himself. Our works will not get us to God. But God will meet us where we are And if we do not repent, we will face wrath. 
not temporary rest, eternal separation, forever away from God. Church, this is the beauty of the gospel, is that they receive mercy because we have a merciful God. They did not receive mercy because they were good enough. They did not receive mercy because they were worthy. God had a plan from the very beginning. And you know what? This is what makes Jonah mad. Without getting in the next week, Jonah is mad because his enemy, someone who destroyed his people, they are now turning. And he knew, he knew God was a merciful God, slow to anger, righteous and justice, almighty God. And he did not want to see this happen. But guess what, church? We faithfully share because God faithfully saves. And that's the reason we gather and celebrate. It's because we know that each and every person, the people we, we worship with on Sunday mornings, none of us, not your lead pastor, all the way down to your pastoral candidates, our future deacons, the, the first-time guests, none of us are good enough. But we know that we are worthy, and we know that we are made new in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is where our hope is. That through faith in Him, our faithful Savior, we will enter into a new covenant with our Lord. And we will spend eternity with Him, praising Him, because of His good grace, not our works. Ben, you can go ahead and come back up. Church, we are going to celebrate. We've got so much to celebrate this morning. And we're talking about this, this idea of, of repentance. And, and what we're celebrating is, is some new members we got some new members that we're going to bring up here in just a, a minute. Um, we're celebrating what God has, has done in their life and through their life and bringing them to himself, saving them. we got baptisms, and what that means is, is it is not a part of salvation. They've already been saved because God is merciful, but it is them celebrating what God has already done. It's them showing the world that they've died to their sin and have been made alive in Christ. So we're going to celebrate those things. But church, I, I want to sing this, um, this last song and I want us to reflect on, on all these things that we've heard from God's Word this morning that, that we need to be a repentant people, that we need to go out and faithfully share because God faithfully what, church? Saves. He is faithful to that. He is so good and so faithful to us. Man, if you guys want to go ahead and... and play this song, and then we're going to bring new members up after this. You know who you are. I'll call you out by name after this. We're going to pray over you and celebrate you um, this morning. So let us sing the song, church, if you want to go ahead and stand, but let's reflect on God's goodness. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, I pray that you would just come and find either Pastor Gary or myself or whoever invited you to the church this morning. I'm sure they would be happy to tell you. We'd love to tell you about the mighty Savior who saves and died on the cross for us. Father, thank you for this time lead us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the new members and baptisms we're going to celebrate today. But God, I pray that if there's anybody here that does not know you, God, that you would bring them to yourself, that they would repent and you would relent of the wrath that is coming their way if they do not call on your name. Father, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.